Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan. And we're so glad you've taken the time to tune in today. We're talking about fellowship with God. Fellowship with God is real, and it's built on the fact that we have something in common that binds us together with God, and it's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this union that affords an interaction between God and the Christian. There's an exchange of delight over the Son, and this exchange radically impacts all that we are And do. You see, you can fellowship with God at any time, anywhere. Now, this fellowship is both felt and unfelt. There are times when we feel something and are consciously aware that we are in the presence of God. At other times, well, nothing's felt. But we are in league with God because of our faith in Christ. And it's that connection that acts as a bond. In other words, we have a common interest that unites the Lord and us. The Apostle John calls it walking in the light as he is in the light. In our last episode, we discussed how to have this communion or fellowship. The first thing incumbent upon us in this confederation with God is to be real and transparent with him, any kind of duplicity or artificiality will shut down the conscious awareness of fellowship. Today, I want us to cast our attention on the next means of cultivating fellowship with God, and that is developing a conscious awareness of God's presence. We're not likely to commune with someone who isn't present to us. Talking to people who are not there is usually a certifiable way to get branded insane. We think of such people as not having their feet planted firmly in reality. Therefore, speaking or interacting or having some kind of a running dialogue with God is really difficult for us. And the reason is we cannot see or hear him. Thus, out of sight, out of mind. Now, if you hung out with me for a day, It'd be difficult for me not to think about you. You're right there with me. And it's your presence that engages my desire to communicate with you. Now, think about that. Your presence engages my desire to communicate with you. You see, it's your presence that would evoke and induce conversation. If you weren't there with me, I would not engage you in fellowship. The only way I could do so is if I reached out to you, I called you, or sent you a text, an email. But then you would first have to come to my mind before I would reach out to you. I hope you see this very basic but essential principle, that experienced fellowship is the result of the conscious reality of someone near you. And that the presence of someone near you elicits communion. Therefore, if I'm not aware or conscious of the presence of God with me, well then, I'll not be engaged in fellowship with Him. And there is the problem with most believers. God's person is not a conscious reality. Because we do not see Him, He's often 
out of mind. However, the scripture emphatically states that God is with us and he will never leave us. Thus, if fellowship with God is to occur, it truly depends upon training the mind, training the mind to remember his abiding presence with us. I hope you're not offended by the word training or to train the mind because, well, it shouldn't be offensive. I am in no way suggesting some kind of self-convincing, self-hypnosis, or any kind of mental gymnastics or mind games. No, on the contrary. My statement is based upon the fact that God says He's always with you, and another fact is that you often forget the first fact. (laughs) You forget that God said He would be with you. The mind's not accustomed to acknowledging God's abiding presence because the fact does not feel real to us. Thus, we think, live, and feel as if God is not near. We must train our minds with the truth of the Bible. There's much unlearning of that which is false so that we can learn what is true. We believe only a half-truth. We believe God is in heaven, that He's real, that He exists, of course. But we fail to believe the fact that He's also with us. Jesus bodily ascended back to heaven. But He also said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. The writer to the Hebrews also quotes the Lord Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So these realities need to become just that to you, real. It should be second nature to you that Christ is always with you. His presence is always there whether you feel it or not. In fact, because he has said he's always with you, you should not need to feel his presence to believe it. But isn't that what you often do? Internally, you don't believe his presence abides with you because, well, you just don't feel it. And once again, out of sight, out of mind. What we need to do is put the mind in its correct order. We should train the mind to acknowledge the abiding presence of God so that we can act accordingly, to act as if we can see Him. In this case, faith is truly the eyes of the Spirit. By faith, we walk as if God is walking right beside us because... He he truthfully is beside us. This is why what I'm saying today is not mind games. It isn't pretending or play acting, and it certainly is not self-deception. We are learning to walk according to the truth of God's Word. His Word says, He never takes leave of you, nor goes to sleep, nor does He stop considering you. You are always on His mind. Why not learn to make the Lord always on your mind? That's what I'm talking about. Well, how do you do that? How do you keep Christ always on your mind? Needless to say, it's a process of retraining, or as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, renewing the mind. We must establish a new thought pattern. Now listen carefully, sir. It isn't that you think wrongly of God or that you don't agree with the truth that God is omnipresent, meaning everywhere at the same time, which includes always being with you. No, the problem is you just don't think about Him being with you at all. Instead of not thinking about God, we need to train ourselves to think about Him and His nearness. I love how David said it in Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. 
because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. David teaches us a great deal here in a few words. First, he said that he, David, set the Lord before him. He was determined to live in the conscious awareness of the presence of God. David doesn't depend upon some paranormal experience. He doesn't pray for some unusual encounter with the heavenly. No, this is something David does by a determined will. I have set the Lord before me. This is a choice that David is making. He has decided to live in this manner. He acts. His will is moved. He exercises himself to live in light of the abiding presence of God. The will must be determined to live in this way. You can choose to either experience the Lord's presence or not. And the way to do so is by making yourself think about the Lord and His being with you. This is the work, and this work is your responsibility. You must try to make it a habit to be aware of God, whether you feel Him or not, whether you are at the job site or in church. And the key is to catch yourself not thinking about Him. Now, I know that sounds strange, but this is so important. The more you catch yourself not thinking about Him, the more you will start to think about Him. At first, you may go 30 minutes or an hour without God coming to mind. That's to be expected. But the more you find yourself not remembering the Lord God, the more your mind is being reprogrammed. As this happens, you'll find you catch yourself again and again forgetting Him. Now, friend, don't be discouraged. Instead of going 30 minutes to an hour not concentrating on the Lord, you will find yourself eventually going 15 minutes or so. And then you'll discover, hey, I'm not thinking about Him at all and His great love for me. And you engage once again. You start all over. And as time progresses and you continue this renewal process, eventually you are, as David, you have set the Lord before you. And you're doing it even as David did. Always. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. He daily established this holy routine. It was a conscientious practice. It was something he did over and over, and that's why we call it practicing the presence of God. To practice the presence of God is to perform the same activity on a regular basis in order to improve or maintain the sense of God's presence. This means that whatever David did to develop a keen awareness of God's presence in his life was not about success or failure. It was about learning how to improve the skill by regular exercise, which in other words means practice. Let me ask you a question. What is your mind fixed upon most? What preoccupies your mind? What do you find yourself thinking about when you're not forced to think about something else? If you don't fix your mind upon the Lord, then the world, life, and others will fix your mind for you. You must learn to focus your mind on the fact that God is with you. He has committed himself to you, never to leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah the prophet agrees with David, making the mind essential to experiencing the presence of God. 
In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, the Bible says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so, to cultivate the presence of God is to cultivate the mind, to train it to keep God before you. You see, the mind's not naturally inclined to do this. It's focused on tasks at hand, natural desires, and worldly concerns. These things occupy the mind and its attention. Therefore, you must take yourself in hand and force your mind to contemplate and think about God's abiding presence. You must bring to mind that God is with you, yes, even you, and He's right there with you right now. What I'm teaching today is not some modern and mystical approach to God. This is the long-accepted dogma of the Christian faith. This is biblical spirituality throughout the centuries, from the apostles to the early church fathers, to the reformers and to the Puritans, even down to those of the modern church era, such teaching on practicing the presence of God has existed. For example, the Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, The first fruit of love is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love His thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. When I awake, I am still with thee. Psalm 139, verse 18. The thoughts are as travelers in the mind. David's thoughts kept heaven road. I am still with thee. God is the treasure. And where the treasure is, there is the heart. By this we may test our love to God. What are our thoughts most upon? Can we say we're ravished with delight when we think on God? Have our thoughts got wings? Are they fled aloft? Do we contemplate Christ in glory? A sinner crowds God out of his thoughts. He never thinks of God unless with horror, as the prisoner thinks of the judge. End of quote. The result of learning to believe our Lord's promise that He's always with you and that He'll never leave you is the ongoing engagement of the God who abides. It's this engagement that we call fellowship. A byproduct of this is that you're creating a greater sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Your thoughts are more susceptible to being influenced by Him. As Solomon says in Proverbs 16.3, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. This means as you acknowledge God in all your ways, He will direct your paths. I think the Amplified Bible brings the true sense of this verse to light. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. The same must take place when you read your Bible and pray. You need to first be conscious of the fact that you are in the presence of the Creator and King. This fact alone can revolutionize the way you study the Scriptures and the way you commune in prayer. You're never to simply read your Bible and say your prayers. What's a mother or father to think when their child hangs out with them, but they're on their phone or electronic device and communicate nothing with the parents. But you protest and say, Oh, I I do read my Bible. I do pray. Okay, very good. But 
What if the same child came to his parents after having nothing to say to them all day long, but now at bedtime gives them a dutiful kiss and mumbles, I love you? Do you think mom or dad will feel very close to their child? Do you think they will be cheered by the little affection, if you should call it that, that's doled out to them at the end of the day? I think this is the way most of God's children live. They're busy about the things that enthuse them most or preoccupy them, and either at the start of the day or at the close, they crack open their Bibles and they recite the same words they've repeated for months, if not years. Do you call this communion with God? Is this biblical fellowship? Not hardly. I maintain that the reason we do this day in and day out is because we are mindless in our routines. We don't have control of our thought processes. We do not really believe we are in the presence of the thrice holy God, for if we did, I'm sure things would be very different. But remind yourself as you nestle down to read the Bible and engage in prayer, remind yourself that you're coming to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're approaching heaven's royal throne by which the universe is ruled. Meditate on that until it gets you, until your heart is seized by the awesomeness of the moment and privilege. Don't let that one thought escape, that you are in the presence of holy majesty, inexpressible glory, and omnipotent power. Oh, my friend, when you do that, the Spirit will become alive and warm to God's presence. It is by faith in God's Word, that He's always with us, that we can begin to really fellowship with the one true everlasting God. Well, if you have any questions, just send us an email to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. And if you haven't yet, Check out all of our resources at our website, www.realtruthmatters.com. Well, we so appreciate your prayers and support. It's just wonderful in my travels to meet some of you who listen to this podcast. Your kind words about this podcast is so encouraging. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in. And may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.